Welcome back to season four of the Disciples Made podcast, six trends that are the least likely yet most necessary trends we must see in disciple making over the next 10 years. My name is Brian Phipps, founder of Disciples Made, and I'll be your host for this season. The topics we are discussing this season are critical, which is why we're asking some of the world's most effective disciple makers to join in to the conversation. And it's our hope that you're going to do something more than just listen to these podcasts. We hope you will hear them and then pray and discern what next steps you and your team, if you have one, need to take in order to help bring these trends into a reality. With that said, let's get ready for the next conversation. This week, we're talking about the third trend, which is healthy accountability becoming greater than behavior management. Healthy accountability becoming greater than behavior management. We look at behavior management as any type of informal or formal group of people that deals with moral or character issues once they've been exposed. It's usually focused on the consequences or the reconciliation after those consequences, but it's always focused on the broken behavior. This can't be because if the focus stays on the broken behavior, then usually reconciliation is difficult and you never really start to focus on the things that would keep you away from the broken behavior to begin with. That's where healthy accountability comes in. Healthy accountability is almost always focused on the next steps that Jesus is leading a person to make. And those next steps could be big next steps, or they could just be micro steps of obedience on any given day. And if I have two or three others that I'm fully transparent with and are helping me see those next steps and accomplish those next steps, then I'm playing more offense than defense. Of course, healthy accountability comes in and plays defense when needed, when there are broken things, when there are trends going in the wrong direction. But healthy accountability is that resource, that asset in our life that Jesus wants us to have so that consequential type of accountability is dramatically minimized. We get to focus on becoming like Jesus instead of focused on messing up. Let's see what the others have to say. All right. So good. So, so good to welcome back uh, our guests here to episode three of this podcast. We got Rob Wegner here. We got Mandy Smith, Myron Pierce, Grant Skeldon, Kevin Harris. What a just a fantastic group of people I've enjoyed to get to know over the last couple of episodes. Thanks for being here. Let's keep pressing in. We're talking about these six least likely but most necessary trends we need to see in disciple making. And today's is we want to see healthy accountability become greater than behavior management. Healthy accountability greater than behavior management. So we're just going to go around and again ask each of the participants here, is this a top 10? Is it necessary? Is it top 10? Why or why not? Et cetera. So, uh, Kevin, let's start with you. Is this trend moving toward away from behavior management and toward healthy accountability a top 10 and why or why not? It is absolutely a top 10. Bob Goff says it this way, don't hold me accountable, hold me close. And uh, I think there's incredible power in 
especially from my perspective in the lives of men who are can very easily drift into performance management for them to get the freedom of being known and, and being in a relationship with, with somebody else that knows them fully is, uh, is it may be the most important thing that a, that a guy gets to do in his life. Awesome. I agree with you. I, it's interesting. You said, you know, something about men in particular on this one. I wonder what the rest of the guys will have to say. I'm going to save Mandy's uh, for last here so that she can comment after all the guys have gone. Myron, how about you? What do you think about this? Yeah, I think uh, I, I would concur with even what Kevin said. I think, uh, I don't know if I would use the word accountability, it has too many connotations that has set um, everyone up for failure. Um, and so maybe we can get into that a little later on what I prefer and uh, how I even prefer to communicate that. But I think it's a top 10. I just think there's an approach that could be a much more advantageous for the Christian community. I love the way you say that we we're it's it's like we try to reclaim this word or do we abandon the word and I have stuck with so far reclaim uh, the word and try to redefine it but I love your approach and let's let's hit that a little bit further uh, Rob what would you add here let's keep going around the guys yeah when I look at the life of Jesus and uh, how much priority he put on Peter James and John and the level of um, shared life he embraced with them. They were a part of, you know, healings that other people didn't see. They were a part of his transfiguration. They were there in his moments of like deepest pain in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I just think this space of, you know, two, three, or four is actually the closest of discipling relationships that we will experience that place where we don't hide um where it's raw where the pretense falls away we get to see each other as we really are that's where the grace of god becomes incredibly tangible and transformative so that's been my experience like we're not going to really experience the fullness jesus intends for us to without that level um, of honesty and intimacy and vulnerability. It's really a place where we can be wounded most deeply. That's why we don't want to do it. And so, but it's so important that Jesus prioritized it. And, um, and I think we have to, if we want to see that kind of change. Gotta agree with you. Gotta agree with you there. Uh, awesome. Mandy, uh, jump in while we're uh, trying to get Grant back on the call. Yeah, I understand Myron's hesitation and I feel it too. I think in diverse situations, it's really important for us to understand that the challenges we bring to one another, which I do believe are important and healthy and help us grow, but they need to come in the form of, of, of a humble, like, I don't understand what's going on in you. I don't know what this means for you to be behaving in this way but here's how it affects me or the situation that you're in. And so I think some of my pain around it has come from generally speaking, honestly, a, a man who has said for you to be doing this means this. And uh, it hasn't meant that for me to be doing that. 
And uh, f instead of assuming uh, they knew my uh, motives to, to be able to say, here are your choices. Like I want to hear if I'm making choices that are harmful to people, but it's painful when people have a kind of a top down, it can feel like a kind of violence to make assumptions about other people's motives. Mm -hmm. And so, but I do think we give people a gift. And this is what Jesus did when he said, here's a choice. You have a choice to make. And that's empowering to people. I love it. One of my favorite questions is help me understand. Help me understand. Bring me into your world. Yeah, I think um, I think so. Again, I, I usually try to look at it through the lens of uh, the next generation. And I feel like, um, you know, I it makes me think of a story when I did kind of like a I was with uh, a guy named Matt Brown, who was doing a mentor day with Greg Laurie. If you guys are familiar with him, he does these massive crusades uh, with like thousands of people very faithful over about 25 years of doing these crusades. And basically, um, I remember asking him before we had, or he asked me before having about maybe 30 or 40 high caliber Christian leaders that were in their, mostly their twenties meeting with him. He was asking, how did all these guys get to where they are was so young. And he's like, just give me a picture of who they are. Cause I thought they were young pastors, but I'm being told they're not just pastors. And I remember saying like, yeah, some of these guys, I mean, like this kid's 19 years old, his name's Cole. He's actually a multimillionaire from like books and from YouTube. And then this girl is huge and got a huge contract with uh, writing a book. She's 19. And this kid's like a professional scooter rider. And he's got like, all these people following him online and he's really young. And I remember him just saying, uh, I am so excited that I'm going to pour into these guys, but I'm really concerned also just because like, that's so much influence at a young age. And he said, this analogy, he said, when I was 19, I was lucky if I got to preach to the youth group. Um, but you're telling me these guys are getting to do big things like that and then he's like if i'd have to be faithful for years in the youth group to then finally get the opportunity to like speak to a larger group or to the main church he's like my character would have to catch up to my opportunity and then years of faithfulness my character would catch up to my opportunity and basically he's just saying but your generation's getting shot up very quickly with opportunity influence exposure um, but you can't microwave the character and he's just talked about how at the time, James McDonald, one of his close friends, of course, Mark Driscoll and all the, and Bill Hybels had all kind of fallen in the last five years, but especially James um, in that year. And he just said, I think your generation could be one of the biggest generations to fall out um, if you don't have better accountability and prioritize it. And I'd say as a young leader, we often are just so excited to see young Christian leaders that we don't really ask the hard questions. We're just glad that they're there. And so um, I think it's crucial because I'm almost shocked how little uh, young Christian leaders get asked about accountability, account accountability, but I do think it's very, very important that it is prioritized and trained and developed in the next generation. Yeah. And the other word I'd throw in there perhaps is modeled. Uh, if they experience it, they'll value it. And if they value it, they'll do it and they'll pass that thing on. Uh Myron, I'm going to go back to you. When we talked, you said you wouldn't use that term. You'd probably use another term. And I'm assuming that uh, the word itself is one barrier to us actually seeing this trend catch fire. Uh, so uh, what else do you think might be in the way of this trend that we agree has to happen? 
but you know, is it going to be, is it a least likely? Is it really a least likely and why? And how does that comment that you had earlier play into that? So here's the tension. The tension is um, we have a hierarchical Christian culture that doesn't promote vulnerability because there are many at the, there are, there's one at the top and many at the bottom. So what's modeled in this hierarchical exclusio model is you're far from me and I'm going to build a system that promotes that distance so that you don't have to be vulnerable. So, and then we attach the word accountability to that culture so that when new next generation leaders are elevated quickly as Grant alluded to, then their definition of accountability is distance. And so the further I am, the less more inclined I'm going to trust you. And we all know that trust is the foundation of, of influence. And so when I look at the New Testament narrative, I overwhelmingly see Jesus um, alluding to uh, us giving an account to God. At the highest degree of accountability is God. Like at the end of the day, I, am, I have to give an account to God. What I, and, and so, um, so when you have those two tensions of the accountability culture we've created due to our systems and structures, and then the New Testament narrative that reveals that we're going to give an account, then what I'm surmising is God is advocating more for us taking responsibility. And so I'm, I'm more inclined to say, hey, let's focus on what it means to be responsible stewards of our lives in the context of a Christian community so that when we stand before God and give an account, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and so those are just a few of my thoughts and, and, and um, be, be open to hear, hear what you think about that. But as I, as I think about it and process it, um, I think responsibility um, is what I see Paul holding Peter to in Galatians. I, I hear him. I hear him saying, "Hey, we're responsible for the purity of the gospel, and because you you aren't being responsible, then I am left with essentially rebuking you." Um, and so, yeah, those are those are those are kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I like that a lot. You know, the word I the phrase I used. Um, the name of the podcast is healthy accountability, which of course there's a lot to, in play uh, with that word healthy. Uh, but I like that word responsibility. How do we how do we get the people around us to make sure that we steward this the way God is inviting us to? Kevin, what would you add here? No, I would um, I'd add you know as I, as I sort of think about that that term accountability and and I think about it in light of environments I've been in in my own life, the most powerful place where I experienced accountability and probably slightly different than, than Myron's describing was in a, a group where I had a guy who was two seasons of life ahead of me. And he grabbed eight of us and we sat around his dining room table. And the very first thing he did was share his story. And he unveiled in that story, not the Sunday school version, and also not the Saturday night version he'd share with his buddies, but it was the, here's where the pain has been. Here's where God has showed up. Here's where I continue to mess up. Here's where God continues to show up. And he wanted to intersect guys like me before we got to that place. 
And so when he shared his story, what he did is then he challenged each one of us to share our stories. And when our stories were shared at the exact same level of vulnerability that he did, and what began to happen was what I thought was my only issue. I realized that Grant was dealing with it on the other side of the table. And I had no idea. I thought I was the only guy in the world dealing with addiction, alcohol, fill in the blank. And when he led with that vulnerability, we all leaned into that. And all of a sudden we had an environment where it was safe enough for me to come back in the next month and go, not, not have somebody ask me, did you do this this month? But to know that if I didn't tell them, they could look at me based on my story and know whether I was telling the truth or not. And it was the first time I was fully, I really felt, as you said earlier, fully known. That's really good. So there's that transparency piece again. There's that ability to steward our story and make the most of the life God's given us. So Rob, what, what are some of the things that are going to keep this trend from happening? What's, what's going to block it? And what do we need to do to push through? Well, I think Myron hit a big one. If there's a hierarchical structure, most people are going to relate accountability with some kind of control. And um, if there's any kind of form of narcissism, narcissism in the leadership, um, there's typically both written and unwritten rules. And, um, and I, I've seen accountability groups that have become very much high control. Um, and that really damages people. They think it's the pursuit of holiness, you know, but actually controlling people or changing people or converting people is actually above our pay grade. That's what Jesus does. Um, so I think a past church trauma, um, there's been a lot of spiritual abuse. I think that's a big issue because, um, which relates to the second one, which is just, we're terrified of vulnerability. That's part of the human condition is just, if I show you this, I'm giving you potential ammunition. And of course, Jesus and Peter is a great example. It's like Peter denied Christ. Like Jesus went to this incredible place of vulnerability with him. So, um, I think that's going to be the other big obstacle. Um, all of us have been burned relationally and um building that level of trust happens incrementally um but the risk is so high you know um so i i think the vulnerability issue is the big block for most people the risk of actually being hurt again so hopefully that was real helpful and hopeful yeah it is, but it, it makes me want to ask another question. And then this is this is not a part of kind of the conversation that we've had so far. So I'm just kind of anybody just just jump up and kind of grab the answer to this. But what makes vulnerability so difficult? And I'm going to throw out the easy one. Uh, well, shame is a big, you know, indicator, and we're afraid to do that. Uh, because we're afraid of the, the, the impending judgment. And Kevin, what you said, I thought was just awesome. Once the first person who is the leader, you know, took, took the initiative and laid it all out, it's like, oh, now I've got freedom to do that. Um, the the, the follow-up question that I have on this is, is that lack of vulnerability creating a false presence of 
holiness or a false, a facade of some type of spiritual maturity or whatnot, that is that the person knows is false. And then the harshness, or because we've used the word abuse with accountability, and I'm trying to get to where that's coming from. Because if we aren't able to actually uh, get to a place that we want because we're afraid to be vulnerable, then the only thing we can do with the gap between who we present ourselves to be and who we know we are is to kind of take that self-loathing out on others. I mean, I know I'm pulling all psychology stuff here, but you know, Freud talks about this thing called projection. And if there's abuse because of this lack of vulnerability, in this thing that's harshly administered called accountability, like, how do you, how do we crack that nut? I'm like, am I talking the right stuff? Like the brokenness and accountability is probably of some form of projection of self-loathing that happens. And I'm sorry, I'm taking this way off track here, but it just feels to me that this is a point. Um, Mandy, what do you think? You've, you've offered such helpful, uh, psychological and spiritual type of commentary before and it seems like you've got something to say um yeah well i i think it's really important for us to understand that vulnerability goes so far beyond um just saying revealing things about ourselves it's really a moment to be to confront our own human limitation and Sometimes it means I'm telling you something about myself, but sometimes that thing about myself, I can't even explain to you yet. And I have to choose sometimes to let you even see me in the mess of figuring that out and, um, and being incomplete and being less than perfect. And that is harder than, you know, six months down the road when I've thought through the experience and I can in a sentence or two sum it up for you. Um, what I think is more difficult and also has the potential to be more transformative is when we let somebody see that we just had an argument with our spouse, you know, we may not, it may not be appropriate for us to go into all the information about that, but, but if we're in a close relationship with somebody and five minutes before we met, we had a really hard conversation with our spouse on the phone, you know, we have a choice right there in that moment to just suck it up and pretend everything's okay or to say, look, I have to be honest with you, I'm not feeling it this morning, you know. And we might give that person a gift by, by showing them it's okay to have conflict with your spouse. You know, that might be, God always seems to pick me out to be that person who gives other people that gift. Like I'm just, <laughs> I just seem to always be in a situation where I have to get myself together enough to, to at least be able to say, look, because I always feel overwhelmed. I, I very rarely feel like I'm ready for everything. I don't feel as prepared for everything as I'd like to. And I, I, life just, I just have a lot of deep emotions. I mean, we all do. I'm not good at hiding them. And, and yet I'm a leader. And I have to somehow steward that well and invite people in behind the scenes. And some of the most, I'll say this and then I'll finish. Some of the most transformative moments in my ministry, the, the, the most times when someone has said that was really powerful were actually times when I did not feel at all powerful, when I was sharing a way that God was working in my life or a way that I was even confused or scared or in the mess somehow. And for me to say, I don't understand, but God is good. And 
for me to be feeling like I'm shaking in my shoes and it's just so crazy every time that becomes not that I'm doing it on purpose like I hate it I don't like being in that place I would love to be super polished and on top of things all the time but there is a moment when we when we safely and healthily let people in behind the scenes that we let people see our human limitation and we let God's power be shown if God's power is shown in our weakness um, then we we need to let that gap between our capacity and his power be revealed but it's a scary thing I'll tell you that it certainly is um, and it is the place where the the best things happen it seems as you say Grant it seems to me that the things that I hear the most about the younger generation coming up into leadership is that they really desire this type of authenticity, this type of, uh, you know, genuine uh, trust and relationship. Uh, is this going to be easier for this next generation? Or is it going to be harder or why? And then, you know, of course, any other thoughts you might have that this conversation is kicked up for you? It's going to be easy. Is it going to be hard? Uh, I do think that the next generation, yeah, definitely craves authenticity i think every young generation wants something fresh or real so i don't even think that's like a next this specific generation um just like a new raw fresh expression of something um i think that um you know that going back to kind of discipleship and generational connection um i think that the two biggest excuses for what i've heard on why older people don't disciple younger people uh, usually is one, um, they don't like have time to do it. They're just way too busy. Um, and I always say, you know, I get it. Like we are too busy for mentorship, um, meeting with people. I don't think we're too busy for discipleship, having someone join us. Um, I, I just got married, as you guys heard recently. And I, I've never met a married person with a full-time job who has kids, um, who has time also. And so most people don't have time. Um, but the second biggest reason I hear is they'll say, I just don't feel qualified or I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like my life is cool enough for some young person to want to join me and follow me. Like they, they almost feel like I've got to be doing more. And, um, and I think it's a great lie. The enemy is that we need to, um, yeah, it's not a problem of like, we can't make ourselves available. It's that we can't make ourselves vulnerable because then they'll see the good, the bad, and the ugly, or they won't even see any good. They'll just see meh and bad and some ugly. Um, but I, I often think of a quote by John Maxwell where he said, if you want to impress people, share your successes. But if you want to impact people, share your failures. And um, the difference I've seen of those, especially I, I will say, this is just my experience, but I do hear the second excuse more from women who are like moms and are, are inviting, are inviting uh, younger women into their homes. They'll be like, man, I don't want someone to see my home. It's, it's a mess. It's dirty. It's, it's bad. And, and again, I don't, I, I don't have kids. My brother has five already and he's my youngest brother. And um, when they come over to my house, I'm just like, I don't know. It's, I don't know how you keep a clean house when you have little kids running around. Like, it's just like their number one mission is to like, I just realized how much my house isn't designed for kids whenever my, my brother comes out with all his kids. And so my point is like the moms who disciple really well, vulnerably, 
and the ones that won't because they don't want to go vulnerable, the only difference between their homes is that one just owns it and says, hey, you want to see what real life is like with kids? Um, this is what it's like. Um, they don't have better homes. They just have, I guess, realer homes in a way that they, they'll let people in. And so um, I do think it'll be a hurdle. I think it'll be difficult. Um, but I will say from the young girls who have been discipled by mothers and godly women who would say, hey, just come into my home. I might even ask you to babysit. I might even ask you to do chores. I might even ask you to cook with me. Um, the young girls always say, I absolutely love that they would be vulnerable and be real. It's like, I don't see this in the movies and I don't see this from the stage, um, but this is really actually going to help me mentally, spiritually prepare for what is really, um, yes, the reality of marriage and, and, and raising kids. And so um, I think vulnerability is so crucial. Accountability is so crucial um, for the next generation to truly be prepared um, to yeah, lead a generation that's coming up after them. I, that's so helpful. I love that. It's like a modeling of that openness, you know, just by physical presence. I'm showing you this house is not going to be perfect for you. That's, that's so good. Myron, what uh, in at Mission Church, what are you guys doing in order to make this uh, a more likely than less likely effort? Um, I bought a t-shirt that says I love Jesus, but I cuss a lot. And um, and I and I when I communicate from the stage, or whether I'm speaking, I, I wear it. Um, I might I might cuss one of my disciples out every now and then. I might even cuss when I'm speaking, to be honest. Um, but I I'm just trying to be like authentic myself and and real myself. I love what what Grant said, like man, listen, the mission of my kids is to make our lives terrible when it comes to keeping a house clean. And, you know, and the reality, man, is I'm just trying to set a stage like in my own life to, to be authentic. And I think sometimes, sometimes being authentic is hard for Christian people um, because of the expectation or the gold standard of what it means to be a Christian. That's why I'm thankful on one end that I didn't grow up in church, um, but I grew up in the street. And so like loyalty and trust and authenticity, like that's just part of the grind, right? And so um, I think for me, I'm just trying to model it. I'm trying to be authentic. Um, quite frankly, um, in one of our family gatherings, you know, I some people may say this is cool. Some people may not, but like, I share with our church, like, hey, man, like, I'm, I'm going through a bout of depression that I've never experienced, and I need you to pray for me. And in the Black community, number one, you don't tell nobody um, what's going on, really, you know, in terms of, like, depression and anxiety. Like, it's like, yo, man, suck that up. It's all good, you know. But to, to be honest with our church family, to be like, yo, man, like, I didn't get out the bed for a week straight. I canceled all my meetings. I wanted mm -hmm. to die. You know, in fact, I went to the doctor and got some medicine. In fact, I was on medicine. I was on antidepressants, but I, you know, I, I quit taking them because I'm me and I'm a type A leader and I got it together and it's all good. But like, 
just to be honest with my my with the church to you know with our family just to say hey this is this is where i'm at right now mm-hmm. and, and to mandy's point man i felt like a worm you know i'm like man this sucks to be able to have to say this but like this is where i'm at and so as we landed the plane that day man it's like so many people was like man man me too yeah oh yeah and thank you for for being honest and and so but it didn't feel it didn't feel good yeah rob and i have a mutual friend in dan sutherland uh who was the lead teaching pastor at west side family church where we were on staff together a few years ago and i remember the first couple of years of dan's leadership they weren't used to his level of vulnerability and he didn't press it but the more trust that he earned over the years, the more vulnerable he became from the platform. And you could see it had almost a universal effect on the whole church. Small group leaders, small group participants, everybody had permission to become more vulnerable as the church leader, uh, him or herself became more vulnerable. So thank you, one, for that leadership and two, reminding us as leaders that it starts with us. We have to demonstrate that if we want to see it. Rob, what's happening in in the uh, underground as far as what you're trying to do to make sure that this this trend actually does happen? Uh, Well, first of all, um, just living into it personally and uh, the people that we're discipling, just normalizing, um, like you said, that that kind of vulnerability. trying to create a safe space in every microchurch to be a mess and uh, to be in process. And we want every microchurch also to be um, a network of triads. Uh, So we have created this, uh, it's basically like, I guess you could call it an onboarding process (laughs) where we help um, microchurches by creating it's a, a, a path or a, a map on how to move into a healthy three space. And it walks people gradually, like trying to set the right trajectory or culture for a triad space. Because um, going from zero to 90 uh, usually isn't a healthy way to build trust and vulnerability. Um, and we slowly teach them, um, we call it maturity on mission is the name of the journey. And we teach them some relational skills. We teach them uh, spiritual skills. And then we actually try to do a lot on emotional maturity too. Um, Helping people identify kind of needs, tasks, milestones, like where are they at in their journey. And we have this uh, simple acronym or acrostic, it's SAV. So like starts with Shalom. So we're teaching people, how do I personally return to a place of Shalom Second part is appreciation. Um, So teaching people how to um, learn to savor um, the differences in others and also the many gifts of God and how to practice gratitude and appreciation with each other. Uh, Another part is listen to your body. Um, So a lot of us have like completely divorced ourselves from our kind of physical body and our bodies are actually a lot of times giving us so much important information about our emotional, spiritual, and relational health. So we give simple practices on that. Uh, validation, which is 
Like we can't really discover our true identity apart from community. Um, so we teach people how to start validating um, identity in Christ and calling. And the last part is emotional maturity. So that's um, been a huge emphasis for us uh, in the underground. Um, and we're really committed to inviting everybody into that uh, within their micro, uh, trying to discover that triad as well. Excellent. So you can actually create language for that environment for this activity to take place and training on how to be present and uh, yeah. And if, if and it's that's a, if people want to check it out, it's maturityonmission.com. It's available for anyone to utilize or take a look at. Awesome. Myron, real quick, you have a link to your t-shirts. Are you selling those t-shirts? Uh, <laughs> no, no, want one. I need one. Uh, they're on Amazon, yeah. man. Go to Amazon, man. Them joints, nice. <laughs> I love it. Mandy, how about you? What are you doing in uh, Brisbane uh, in your ministry there at St. Lucia to help uh, foster uh, the development of this trend? Yeah, well, your listeners won't be able to see my puffy eyes, but I was wrestling all night long. I did not sleep well because of some of this kind of issue last night. And, um, you know, I have a pastor's heart. I want to serve people and comfort people. But I also have, like most pastors, a somewhat prophetic call. And those two things are really hard to do together. Um, I'm also a nine on the Enneagram, so I don't like conflict and I have a tendency to absorb the problem myself rather than let it be where it belongs and um, so I'm just wrestling with the fact that it's it's easy sometimes and there's a kind of idolatry in this it's easy sometimes for us to want people to like us so much that we that we don't act out of love for them and um, trusting that on the other side of a hard conversation it maybe a place of real growth for both of us, perhaps. Um, and so I, I have a tendency to avoid those hard conversations. And, and I think that, that really when we're doing it well, some kind of accountability will actually feel horrible for us to be the person who's, who's raising an issue with somebody. It should come out of a place of, of obedience and a place of kind of shaking in our shoes. I think if it feels good, kind of like disciplining children, like if it feels good, it's probably not the good thing to be doing, you know? So um, I'm, I'm in the, in the process at the moment of, of trying to kind of repent of my own, um, whatever it's called when you like try to absorb the pain yourself or try to keep other people from feeling their own pain and, and step into the place with them to help them make a choice, which is what Jesus constantly did, you know, to, to hold the mirror up and say, um, here is a choice for you to make. I am not going to force you. I am not going to browbeat you. I'm just going to share with you. Here's something I feel called to share and I will leave it with you and I will <laughs> step away. And uh, I'm very humbled and a little bit um, anxious about it, but I think that's a part of our call. What I love about what you just said, Mandy, is you're, you're actually modeling the vulnerability in your attempt to become more open and vulnerable, like just be the process. So thank you for that. And yeah, and, and I think that's going to be big in America because it's such a foreign concept uh, as well. So Grant, uh, tell us what are you doing with Q ideas and other areas of influence that you have to try to uh, move this into a reality? Um, I mean, the most 
probably the closest thing right now is just uh, it's pretty yeah it's just the beginning steps of it but um you know we, we just did a retreat for about 250 high caliber young leaders and um we yeah we we spent a lot and of time and money and a lot of prayer and fasting to try to create a space where young leaders who have been thrust into a national spotlight of some sort um, could have a space where they could kind of be poured into and be a kid uh, again in some sense. Uh, these guys, yeah, they are, they have to, it's a private invite group, um, but we brought in leaders like Rich Ruiz to speak into their life. Uh, John Mark Comer was with us, um, Lisa Bevere, um, Dave Gibbons, uh, Jenny Allen, Annie Downs. And, and as we're pouring into these guys, um, a couple of things I always tell them to these young leaders that, and I would say the same that we all should do for some of these young leaders that are like in and out of the trenches in our churches. Um, maybe they're going to church, but they, they're killing it in some business or nonprofit or something that they're doing. Um, just always giving them a place where I say, one, you need to have a place where you can take your cape off um you guys are always pouring out and you need one place where you can get poured into um you're always moving traveling raising money or selling some product or doing something to somewhere where you uh don't you just have people that they don't need anything from you uh because uh, it's so easy for, especially for young people to just it's like we do in high school it's like hey what do you you go to the school it's like what do you do it's like i'm a basketball player or i'm a I'm on the cheerleading team. It's like we, we so quickly mark our identity based off what we do. Um, and if you don't get them, even in Christ, we do like, oh, I do this for Christ. Um, it's for Christ is still the second part. It's like I'm a speaker for Christ, an author for Christ, an athlete for Christ, whatever. And so, uh, yeah, give them a place where they can, again, everyone here does cool stuff. I, I'm a big Marvel fan. And there's a quote in the, in the second movie, I think it is, of Endgame where uh, Captain Marvel, she's kind of a cocky girl in that in that movie. She comes up and she's like talking about Thanos and she's like, well, just show me where he is. And all the other superheroes who just got beat up and lost half of their friends, uh, there's guy, uh, Don Cheadle's character, Rhodey, uh, Iron Man's like best friend. He says, oh, hold on, uh, whoever you are. He's like, look, everyone here is about that superhero life. Uh, so just kind of saying, hey, we all we all do that kind of stuff. Um, I, I try to remind you, y'all need a place where it's like, hey, I know you got invited because you do some cool stuff, but you need a place again where you can take your cape off, you can get poured into, you're not pouring out, you're not moving fast, self-service isn't going to be good, um, and you're staying a couple of days. You're not checking your watch to check, oh, man, I got to make the next meeting, or I got to go do the next thing, or I got to do the next podcast. It's just kind of like you're here for a couple of days, um, Get it, be a place where you can have like some childlike faith. So we actually put them in a camp. Like it's kind of a kid's camp actually. So they're bunk beds with each other. And um, I'm putting them together based off, okay, they're in this part of the country or they're in the same industry, just trying to get them together. But uh, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think, I think every generation needs some kids camp. We, we, we still need to go camp sometimes and just get away or retreats or whatever it is. But is God has a knack for giving a lot of clarity when we're not in charge of the agenda. We're not in our context. We have to get away for several days. And something about getting away like that, especially in nature, where we can see a whole bunch of things that 
man had nothing to do with. God just did by himself mm-hmm. uh, getting out of the city sometimes. Um, I think God has a knack for speaking some clarity in those big decisions we have to go back to or those hard uh, places that we have to go back to. And so um, that's that's what I'm trying to do for leaders. And I think every leader needs some seasons like that and places like that. I agree. I so agree. And I love that you're doing that with them. Uh, Kevin, uh, radical mentoring. Uh, you guys have a ton of strategy and uh, and you try to make it look like there's no strategy is my take on things. So what are you doing behind the scenes to get this trend in, in motion here? Well, um, you're kind to say that. Um, and, and like um, Rob, we give every we give all this away. So if you want to learn anything about our organization, you can visit RadicalMentoring.com. You can pick up the phone and call me at 770-710-7596. But what we really believe is that if you can equip, uh, somebody was talking about the older generation, you know, there's the generational baggage of the older generation is very much nobody needs to know what we're dealing with. You know, I'm not qualified to do it. And so what we try to do is help the mentors understand that their only qualification is their story. We're not asking them to teach anything. We're not asking them to do anything other than facilitate conversations around topics that may come from a place of pain in their own life. Um, And we find it incredibly freeing for the mentor. We also try to get a group of mentees. We're a little bit larger than a triad. Our groups are typically one mentor and somewhere about typically about six mentees that are a season of life or two behind that mentor. And what we do is we just hand them the process, typically through their local church, because we know churches, as a part of what they're doing to disciple and lead, we think this is a, um, a next step for some people that want to go a little farther. So we just hand them the process that says, here's some books to read, here's scripture to memorize, here's some real practical homework assignments to do. What we want to do is basically get all the excuses out of the way and let the mentor really understand how do you lean into this group of younger guys who are dying to learn about the experiences they have that more often than not, those mentors think, well, it was just something I did. It's not really important. You know, it was just a season of life or a little blip on my radar, but these mentees are going, you know, give it to me. I need to hear it. I need to know. I'm hungry. Grant said it really well. This this younger generation is dying for for that intergenerational mentoring, and they want that. And you've got some mentors that have got great stories to tell. They don't think they're qualified. And so if we can help the church, um, I hate to say have a program because it sounds more than it is, but if we can give them a piece of a strategy and a track to run on that they can then equip mentors and mentees in these groups to get together life change and life transformation happens. And we're seeing marriages get saved. We're seeing father-son relationships get redeemed. Um, it's just it's just really powerful when you, when you put uh, men, we also have an environment for women, when you put them in these places where they can um, just know what it's like to live free and live underneath the amazing grace that's been just poured out on us that we get so caught up in the performance trap that we don't want to accept it. We're like, yeah, but I don't know. Oh, I don't don't get the grace on me here. Yeah, but I, I've done all this stuff, and we just want to create those those places where they can um, be fully known, and as you so beautifully said, Brian, at the beginning, so that they can become fully alive. And that's what we. That's just our heartbeat. So that's radicalmentoring.com. You can create a free account and 
steal as many resources as you want. Uh, we've got some really generous donors and, and, I, and uh, it's just our pleasure to, to hand it off to people that will use it and, and lean into the others. Thank you, Kevin. I, what I keep hearing is we need to model it. You know, we need to make ourselves vulnerable. Uh, we need to create language for it, whether it's a huddle like you guys talk about or triads uh, or, um, or what uh, in places like camp to get people a way to experience these things and, uh, and some type of, uh, some type of training because it's very difficult to get to that place of vulnerability. Of course, modeling it is the fastest way to get there, but how do we help equip people to sustain those kind of relationships over time? Because they get challenging because they start poking at the squishy spots eventually. And it's not fun to have the, the squishy spots uh, poked at. So let's just, we got a couple minutes, maybe 30 seconds each. Last thought on uh, this idea of uh, healthy accountability, whatever word we're going to shove in there, uh, if accountability doesn't work. Mandy, what, what last thoughts? Well, I do feel prompted to mention that there's this little book out there called The Vulnerable Pasta that um, is might be a helpful resource. So um that's uh, that's really all I wanted to say. So basically, go. because there's lots of things I'd like to say, and I've already said them, I, I don't want to bore you with them all now, but they might be interesting if anyone wants to continue that conversation in book form. Good, good. Thank you for that. Rob, final thoughts? Uh, just go first. And uh, if, if you don't have those two or three people, you know, ask the spirit of God to put a light bulb over some people's heads in your life and start the slow but intentional process of building the trust and the transparency it's worth it it's worth it and read uh vulnerable pastor as you as your starting point yeah there's a whole full resource right there <laughs> all right myron final thoughts then we'll go to grant and back to kevin buy this shirt i love jesus but i cuss a lot <laughs> and uh and like Rob said, man, hey, it, it, all, all culture begins with someone who's willing to curate it. And so we got to go first. It's good. Um, I would say that uh, discipleship hinges on the honor and the hunger of the next generation. And it also hinges on the availability, but also especially the vulnerability of the older generation. And if we wait until all our ducks are in a row, so we have a glorious enough life or good enough life to disciple, then we'll never be ready to disciple. Um, if Jesus waited till the disciples were perfect to go send them out to make disciples, uh, three years in, they were, they were doubting him. They were falling asleep. They were cutting people's ears off. So they never would have gone. Um, and so it's on mission that we are, uh, sanctified. And lastly, uh, Discipleship doesn't mean you're good enough. It just means you're a couple steps ahead. And so to me, discipleship is the question, frequently following someone spiritually a couple steps ahead of you. So don't ask, is my life good enough or great enough? Ask yourself, are you spiritually a couple steps ahead? Because um, it's not the pressure on you. The pressure is on Christ. We're not making them into us. We're making them into him. So just say what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That was rich. We need to take that and just expand it out. So, 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 so big. I could just see Jesus on the way to heaven, go, just doing a, a face palm with some of the things the disciples said right before the ascension. So uh, Kevin, didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry. Final thoughts. 
um, you can't wash somebody's feet from a distance. Mm. The pro- there's so much proximity that has to happen um, in these kind of relationships, and you do have to lean into it. And when you finish reading uh, the vulnerable pastor, um, we've got a little resource called Mentor Like Jesus, which just sort of talks about um, the model that Jesus did in leading his group of disciples and how he had his inner three and um, a lot of stuff that even Rob talked about earlier. It's, it's just a simple, easy resource that outlines a process um, for mentoring in a, in a group environment like, like Jesus said, like Jesus modeled for us. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for being on this podcast and speaking candidly about this. I'm trying to imagine what it would look like if even 33% of every person that claims to follow Jesus would have two or three in their life that they were fully transparent with and who um, had that vulnerability with. I'm just trying to imagine the type of difference that we would see around the world if that were the case. It's a pretty beautiful picture, pretty beautiful picture. And I hope the trend continues. So I look forward to having some of you back on future episodes. Thank you for your participation and uh, appreciate your investment into this podcast and this conversation. I'm not surprised that this group of people has delivered such helpful insight on this shift. At Disciples Made, healthy accountability is ingrained in everything that we do. We integrate accountability structures in a way that gives people in the groups access to actual statistics and actual I will statements of all of our journaling activity. And we provide additional resources of how to phase these difficult accountability conversations in order to minimize pass fail conversations and optimize success. Here's what I mean. When we start to see somebody trending in the wrong way, and they have asked us to help them to not do that, and to actually help them trend in a positive way, what do we do? We need a plan. And typically our plan is to simply wait, 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 don't say anything, let the anxiety build up from everywhere, and then say something that's usually harmful. What if we could phase that accountability conversation process. We have one of those. It's called start with encourage, move to entreat, and then finally, if necessary, move to enforce. We're going to talk about that a little bit more when we debrief what we heard today and share how DM is going to shift this in the coming conversation. See you then.